Welcome to the first episode of the 2084 Talent Setter podcast. I'm very excited to be doing this episode. And throughout the series, we're going to be speaking to industry leaders from fintech, crypto, and financial services. Today, I'm very excited to welcome Ian Taylor. I've known Ian Taylor for many years now, back from when he was in traditional banking. He is the executive director for Crypto UK and has recently acquired a new role in, at, at a global consultancy as head of digital assets and crypto. Ian, thank you very much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me, Quentin. Absolute pleasure. I'm really looking forward to this discussion. I mentioned uh, a minute ago that you were traditionally from banking. I mean, can you tell us a bit about what you did in banking and also why you made the move into crypto? Sure. Well, my background started some um, 20 plus years ago when I left education and joined Barclays Bank on their graduate scheme. I moved through a number of different departments within that bank, ended up in group treasury. And I had a number of roles in back office, middle office, and then eventually moved into the front office, trading interest rate products, fixed income products at a German institution. I've had a number of senior roles in different organizations, global investment banks, and my crypto involvement started really just as an intellectual curiosity, trading a new type of asset class a number of years ago. And from that involvement in meetups, events, chats, I got involved in setting up a not-for-profit organization called Global Digital Finance. I ran their advisory council for a number of years where the organization was really there to support governments, policymakers, regulators, and the community really understand what this new technology could do for businesses and the community at large, and also help governments understand some of the terms, buzzwords, and the risks. And then I was asked to lead Crypto UK, which is the UK's trade association at the beginning of 2020. So I, I took over running the trade organization then, which before my time was founded by some key players in the industry in 2017, including Coinbase, Ripple, CoinShares, to really help the government's crypto asset task force to engage with the private sector, to understand some of the, the things that were going on. So over the last two and a half years, steering the trade association, we've grown from 30 members to 130 members. Now we're starting to see a greater amount of adoption from traditional organizations such as the big four accountants, financial institutions, global law firms, et cetera, that all are starting to consider how they should deal with this new developing ecosystem. Brilliant. That's, uh, that's, that's really interesting, Ian. And you mentioned there that you've grown Crypto UK an incredible amount, up to, I think it's over 130 members, if that's correct. I mean, why, why do you think those companies joined uh, Crypto UK? It's actually the, the answer to the question. It depends on the individual organisation. Now, when we talk to members, potential new members, existing members, most of the time we hear the following use cases. One is around commercialization. We want access to the network that you have so we can cross-sell our businesses, our services. Then if you're working with perhaps a larger organization that has a policy 
team, head of international policy and regulatory affairs, for example, they want to be engaged in the discussion with government, with regulators, helping shape policy, etc. And then perhaps there's the organisations that are looking to get licensed or, or get through some form of certification. And it's, and it's used as a badge of honour, being involved in our trade association, which has a code of conduct to make sure a largely unregulated sector performs in the best possible way in regards to money laundering and consumer risks, then it's a, it shows that they're engaged with being compliant because we work with all of the agencies, government agencies in the UK to ensure that the, these firms are compliant. Superb, superb. And t- talking a bit about that, I mean, the, the, the crypto journey that you've been on with Crypto UK over the, uh, the last couple of years, two and a half years, what would you say are the sort of the, the key achievements that you've done for the, the industry? Well, one, I mentioned grow the trade association from 30 to over 130 members. Also, we're now recognised by the Financial Conduct Authority, the UK's regulator, as a competent authority in the crypto asset ecosystem and also a number of other government departments. One key recent success has been we've managed to set up the first crypto and digital asset all-party parliamentary group. And this all-party parliamentary group was formed in December last year. It has approximately 15 officers that chair, co-chair and participate in the APPG. And these, these officers are members of parliament or peers in the upper house from across three different parties in government. And this, this APPG or party parliamentary group, all industries have them. They're a very, very good vehicle for advocacy, educating policymakers to really ensure that the UK does achieve its, its goal to be a crypto hub. And, and what, are, what are the key goals, I guess? of the UK to become a crypto hub? Well, that's a good question. Your listeners will probably know that um, John Glenn, the junior minister at Treasury, came out at the beginning of April and uh, effectively said, UK government wants the UK to be a go-to centre for crypto innovators. And so the strategy in there includes the following, regulate stable coins. We already knew that was that was coming because there was a consultation that closed in 2020 regarding regulated stablecoin issuers like e-money institutions, also to engage more with the community. And so there's two pieces of activity. Firstly, the FTA Crypto Sprint was launched a few weeks ago, which was a two-day event where members of the community were invited to work with the FCA as to what should be regulated, how should we regulate, what should we regulate, and so on and so forth. There'll be additional crypto FCA sprints in the near future, virtual and in person. This is an ongoing collaborative process. Government also recommended setting up an engagement group, which will be led by a minister. We understand that this engagement group, it will be invite only, and there'll be a small cohort, maybe a dozen or so. Industry participants will be invited to this group to help that at that level, government ministerial level understand you know, what the UK should be doing. Okay, brilliant. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's really good to hear that, that this is the UK government plan, because I guess there has been some challenges with, uh, for example, the FCA AML registration process in, in the prior two years. So it's, it's really good to hear this and that, uh, that you've set up the APPG uh, to help uh, facilitate this as well. 
and <clears throat> bringing it back, I guess, to the, the talent side of things, um, this what you've mentioned about the, the UK government plans there is, uh, is probably music to the ears of those that, that, that are looking to get into crypto. However, we often do speak to candidates that are still a little bit sceptical about crypto and uh, are not keen to, to, to make the move. Perhaps they think it, it won't last or it's a bit risky. What, what are your views on the, the resilience and longevity of crypto and digital assets from, a, I guess, a career perspective in the, in the UK? Yeah, well, I would, I would say to those sceptical that this industry is bigger than just speculating on the price of Bitcoin, for example. The technology, blockchain, will permeate across all of our lives, just like the internet did 20 years ago. And what, what we're saying to people that we speak to is this is the third iteration of the internet. It's being called Web3. Yeah. So Web1 was basically knowledge sharing, transfer of data through email. Email was the first use case of the internet. Then Web2 was infrastructure. The infrastructure was built out. So then we had the development of, say, the layer two applications, so social media, streaming services. And what we saw was as the technology improved, such as fiber optic, uh, mobile data, then these services became more usable and were released. Now, Web3 is, let's call it, Web1 is read, Web2 is read and write, Web3 is read, write and own. It's Mm -hmm. the decentralization of the web. It's the removal of an intermediary uh, like Facebook has all the control, can switch its platform off, can stop somebody using it, can harvest your data. What we're now moving to is shared community collaborative business strategies, which, and if if people don't think that this is going to be a thing, then I would just refer back to if the UK government and many other governments across the globe are coming together, looking at this from a holistic join-up approach to promote their countries as places for people to come and build, then I think that that says a lot. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And from from a kind of a regulatory or AML or compliance perspective, are you seeing a a joined-up approach uh, across uh, globally? Yes. So let's talk about Financial Action Task Force. They've been looking at crypto since 2019 when they issued Recommendation 16 for virtual asset service providers, also known as the travel rule. Policy and regulation will come into play in the UK later this year. HMT closed the consultation last year on implementing the travel rule in the UK. It's already live in jurisdictions such as Singapore and Switzerland. So all crypto businesses that touch crypto in some shape or form, there's the definition of a virtual asset service provider that's pretty easy to, 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 to find, who's captured by this, will have to do exactly what banks do in terms of sending individual personal data with a transaction between virtual asset service providers. And then also we need to look at how illicit finance is the first area where policymakers are focused in the crypto ecosystem. Naturally, that makes sense because a largely unregulated sector, people don't want Bitcoin or other crypto assets being used for illicit finance. So the UK government rolled out the money laundering regime, which is a transposition transposition of the EU AML D5. So the European Union Anti-Money Laundering Directive 5 prior to Brexit. That's live in the UK now. All businesses have to do KYC and AML. Perfect. So it's it's definitely an exciting place to be from a regulatory perspective. 
So what, what I guess that leads me on to my next question, which would be advice really from you, Ian, uh, to those looking at a career in crypto, specifically for regulatory roles, AML roles, compliance roles. <laughs> how, how can they get into it? You know, is, are there any particular skills you think a good compliance officer should have and mm-hmm. uh, have sort of training resources? What I can say is there is huge demand for compliance professionals in this developing ecosystem. And your skills are needed because as these businesses scale, grow, want to be compliant, want to be regulated by the FCA, they need experienced professionals that understand the risks, know how to put in place the relevant procedures with regards to you know, onboarding clients, source of funds, transaction monitoring, et cetera, et cetera, to really achieve the UK's goal, which is to be a crypto hub. And what I would suggest as you know, a little tip, if you are interested in, in moving into the, the sector as a compliance professional, is do a bit of homework. Understand the basics around the technology, how the blockchains work, what's their benefit. I'm not suggesting, you know, buy Bitcoin or one of the other cryptocurrencies, but just to understand how they work, the use cases, the value proposition, read some white papers, you know, join some group chats or read some of the you know, the news that's out there on, on in traditional media or even some of the trade press for crypto. Perfect. I think that's uh, that's really useful advice and uh, people really enjoy listening to that. Just um, moving back slightly to the, the FCA AML registration process, I guess, and I guess the, the, the attractiveness of, uh, of, of the UK for crypto firms. I understand there was quite a large amount of withdrawals from the, from the FCA AML registration pro- program. So it'd just be good to get your thoughts about, about um, crypto businesses and you know, those that are looking to get regulated in the UK and maybe have been put off being regulated in the UK and what the benefits are about doing business here. Yeah, the, ben- the benefits of being in the UK are the same as what they've always been. We have a good rule of law, stable government, clear taxation, good access to resources, especially human resources when it comes to developers, when it comes to legal experts, compliance experts, and so on and so forth. So that businesses want to be here. We hear this all the time. The money laundering regime, or the MLRs, was launched in 2020. And over the course of its two two years and a few months, um, it, was, it was extended a couple of times because of the number of applications the FCA received and a number of other factors that slowed the process down is that they received some 200 applications and unfortunately only gave out, only allowed 33 or 34 to get onto the the register. Now, that's unprecedented because that's about 10% only made it on. Now, some of these applications weren't up to standard. That's what the regulator will tell you, but a lot of them were. And And the problem is this sends a message to the community that, the UK might be a place they want to be, but if they can't get regulated here and they want to be, as I said, crypto businesses want to be regulated. They want to be in the UK um, for the reasons I mentioned, then that's that's a real problem. So we have this disconnect between the government, which is Treasury, mm-hmm. which has the power to set new regulation and mm-hmm. the FCA, which only has the power to carry out what it's been authorised to do by the state. And so I hope that the FCA gets the memo from HMT. Mm. We're in this period now where the FCA, and rightfully so, has been risk averse to dealing with these businesses. One, because it doesn't have the knowledge, expertise, or resource 
to regulate them all. So we hope that with these crypto sprints and the government messaging, this will improve in the, in the near future. Yeah, well, I mean, it certainly seems to be the case with the, uh, as you mentioned earlier, the SCA crypto sprint in, in conjunction with the, with the new government plans to be the, uh, a global crypto asset tech hub. So let, let, let's see how, how it turns out. Getting, getting the crystal ball out now, Ian, what, what do you think the, uh, the future of crypto regulation in the UK looks like? Yeah, so I'm close to this. This is what we do every day at Crypto UK. So right now we have three pieces of clarity and the UK has gone for a different approach to, to, to Europe with the markets in crypto assets or Mika, which is quite overarching and it's in its... Um, suggestions when it comes out probably comes into law at some point next year uk is regulating piecemeal money laundering we talked about promotion so advertising for crypto service providers and stable points three pieces of regulatory clarity at this time we expect there to be some clarity around market participants because up to date we've only had regulation around the activity so market participants one would assume that vasps or casps crypto asset service providers exchanges custodians brokers other intermediaries they will be regulated perhaps in the same way using some existing regulations such as cas uh, for custody the, the regulator is concerned about consumer harms for retail people using these platforms, and rightfully so, because we've seen a high amount of people getting scammed, for example. And then we could also look to the area of market surveillance and market integrity, which are areas that compliance professionals will be well aware of in, if they've worked in traditional finance. You know, orderly and efficient markets are fundamental for, for any industry to function correctly. So we do see a number of aspects of the crypto ecosystem where where they are disorderly and there is information asymmetry for example so that that that's probably a direction of travel that we'll see we hope that DeFi isn't regulated decentralized finance is a bit too early nfts non-fungible tokens shouldn't be regulated at this time this is what the industry was saying to the, the regulator the other week but it doesn't mean there might be some form of clarity on these new areas that sit with under the overall heading of crypto assets where instead of we have regulation we have some principles-based guidance might be the right suggestion or some people are talking about a self-regulatory organization on sro superb yeah the uh, you mentioned stable coins there and that's part of the government strategy strategy as well so it'll be interesting to to see how, how that progresses um, just one final question, actually, Ian, which is uh, probably less orientated around uh, crypto. As you know, I ran my first marathon last year, and I understand you've done a couple of marathons and you're, you're a keen cyclist. Uh, interesting, inter really interested to know what, um, what learnings you have from these endurance sports that you use on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, focus, discipline, setting goals. When you run a marathon, it's... Yeah, if for anybody, your club runner, to your elite runner, to you and I, just complete amateurs, it, you have to have a plan because running 26 plus miles is not good for the legs. Yeah. So, yeah. It's painful. It's very painful. <laughs> I, yeah. I haven't done one for a number of years, but yeah. yeah. What, what works for me in yeah my private life is that can transition into, into your professional life is that goal setting 
and then breaking it down into his little component parts. Okay, I've got three months. What do I need to do in three months before the marathon in, in April when it normally is? It's okay. I need to do 10 miles this week, maybe 12 miles the following week, scale it up. Then what type of training should I do? Long runs, short runs, you know, interval training, et cetera, et cetera. Should I do a bit of cross training? The point is, it's good. It's a good tool that then can be transferred into your professional life when it comes to a problem, a project, mm-hmm. breaking it down into its component parts, and then making it a little easier to achieve the end goal. That's the run a hell of a long way. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think that's that's one of the key things that I learned uh, from it. It's when you break it down and you've got a goal at the end and you do a bit con- consistently, then it's unbelievable what you can achieve. So yeah, really, really appreciate your thoughts on this. I think it's been a riveting uh, conversation, Ian. Uh, very interesting to, to get your thoughts on many topics. And um, just uh, just passing it over to you now. Uh, so if uh, if any of our listeners listeners are interested in uh, Crypto UK and becoming a member, or they want to get in touch, how can they do that? Yeah, please um, drop us an email at hello at cryptouk.io, or you'll find our website which is cryptouk.io. We're engaged in many initiatives, whether that be with the um, Joint Steering Money Laundering Group or working with HMRC on new tax policy to working with the regulator to helping shape policy in Westminster. We run a whole host of working groups where all our members are included. We run events in person and virtual. So please do get in touch. That's brilliant. Well, thanks thanks again, Ian. Absolute pleasure. And uh, hopefully we'll have you on again. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.